much more powerful. The family are the uh, guys that wrote it, wrote it in the wake of uh, a church that we were um, just down the street from in Colorado Springs. Uh, and one day a gunman walked into that church and shot some people. And two of the people were the, these uh, two sisters. And uh, they both died, unfortunately. And the church and the, uh, the band and the worship team wrote this song about overcoming through these challenges. And when you hear a story like that and you hear something like that, you think, wow, that, that gives it a whole new meaning when I can share uh, a song like that with everybody else in this room about overcoming and what that means. And this morning I want to talk out of Jeremiah 29. Turn in your Bibles there if you would, please, just real quick. We will have it up on the screen, but I'd love for you to go there as well. But, uh, you know, we're going to talk, I'm going to give you a little backstory here about the nation of Israel. There was this guy called Abraham. He was, what, the father of our faith, as he was well known for. He started out the Jewish nation. It was because of him and his son and his son's sons and, and that whole line, that lineage that uh, the Jewish nation came about and the, the promised land that was promised to that nation, that was given to that nation, this massive group of people that... Uh, that wandered through the desert there for a while. And out of that great people, God would bless us through the Messiah. Who would come and who would heal and who would uh, change the dynamic of what was lost in the Garden of Eden. And in living in this land, it was conditional on them following God's plan for their life. God gave them this land, and he promised that they would have an everlasting possession of it, but he didn't promise that they would always be able to live in it. And in a very real sense, it's kind of a parallel uh, to our relationship with God in that God gives us this relationship with his son and in doing so calls us to have a relationship with him. I just lost myself up here. There we go. I'm good? You can, you can hear me? Yeah, okay, I figured you could. But this, this parallel in the relationship with God and the, the, the Jews in following and walking with God is very similar to us. God asks us to have faith in his son and faith in him. And he says, when we have faith and when we walk in that way, he fills our hearts with that Holy Spirit. He puts that Holy Spirit on us, and then we walk with the Holy Spirit side by side. But we can quench the Holy Spirit, can't we? We can push the Holy Spirit down. We can walk in our own direction and do our own thing. And God says, I want you to walk with me and let the Holy Spirit work and don't quench that Holy Spirit. Well, the Jews got into the land, and that wasn't easy. There was uh, frogs and and all different kinds of things that that went on when uh, he took them out of Egypt. And 40 years, like I said, they wandered through the, uh, the desert And then they finally get to this land that's flowing with milk and honey, which I honestly never quite understood the flowing with milk and honey thing. I always thought of, uh, what was that that, uh, candy bar guy's name? Willy Wonka. Wonka. See, you knew what I was talking about too. I knew what it was. I just wanted to see if you knew what it was. But they get into this land and there's finally this new land smell and they're excited about it and all this different stuff. But almost immediately, not long after they get into the new land, that they start turning their backs on God. And they start to become like the rest of the people around them. Just the norm. And God is saying, look, 
I want you to be different. I want you to worship me. I don't want you to worship their gods. But they began to drift little by little, and they stopped honoring God in many different ways. And there was one specific way that they stopped honoring God, and that was in observing the Sabbath. And once a week, they would stop, and in the doing the Sabbath, and, and, and unfortunately, in some cases, some people have this mindset of the Sabbath is just me resting, relaxing, and watching TV all day. That's kind of the concept in the religious world in some ways. But the Sabbath was way more than that in that they stopped, they did no work, but they meditated on their relationship with God. Once a week, they did that. But it wasn't just once a week. It was once every seven years that they would give the land its rest. They would take six years where they would plant crops and grow crops and harvest crops. But on that seventh year, they would give the land rest. And God would say, I've got this. I can take care of you. I can sustain you through that seventh year. And that was a big trust issue for them. That was a big, big deal. Why? Because they didn't know how to handle it sometimes, knowing that, wow, when we get to the sixth year, we really got to put our effort into it because who knows what's going to happen in that seventh year. The challenge was, is they didn't do it. They didn't observe the Sabbath every seventh year. And actually, almost for 500 years they didn't observe the Sabbath. Actually, it was 490 years that they were saying, we trust in our own resources. We trust in ourselves. It's kind of like if we get up in the morning and we rush into our day without taking time to pray to God or to read his word. It's, it's kind of similar to if we rush into our week without stopping and coming and being a part of this community right here and worshiping God together as a body. I love singing to God, but there's just something about singing with Sebastian and looking out and watching Sebastian sing. Are any number of you in this room as well? When we sing together, when we worship God together, when we pray together, when we all say at the same time, amen. I don't take that lightly. When I hear that amen, that so be it, that we all say, it's music to my ears. Thanks, Carl. I appreciate that. <laughs> amen. Or it's kind of like when we rush into paying our bills without giving to God first. Well, that's a big challenge sometimes, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I've got some bills that I need to pay. And every time I turn around, my 252,000-mile truck has something else that goes wrong with it. And people are like, just let it go. And I'm like, I've spent so much, I can't let it go anymore. But I want to give to God first. If I have to walk, I'll ride my bike, or take my son's scooter somewhere. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Maybe not in that 
10 degree weather we had the other day, but amen to that. I'll call you to come pick me up if I need to. But what I've realized is that this becomes an issue for us. It becomes an issue of I got to take care of myself. I got to make sure that I'm in good shape here. I've got to make sure that I pay these bills first before I give to him. I get so busy that I don't have time to read. I don't have time to pray. I've got to work on Sunday. You know, that right there even in and of itself is a challenge for many. I've got to work on Sunday. You know, one of the things I've realized, and I appreciate I was talking to a brother just the other day, Hector Hernandez, by the way, and Hector was telling me, yeah, when I got this new job, I told him before I started, I can't work on Sundays. Wow, even that doesn't move you guys right there. That, to me, is exactly how it should be. But we have people that work on Sundays, and I think... In my economy of understanding that if I work hard enough at a job and they want to keep me, they'll let me off on Sunday. Maybe that's it. I don't know. Either way, we rush into these different things. One of the things I've realized is that 90% of my day with God's help is a lot better than 100% without it. 90% of my week spent here at Bible Talk and Devotional is a lot better than trying to do it on my own. And the same with my money as well, that when I get God involved in my finances and my money, whatever I'm broken or whatever I have or don't have, God's got control of it. And that's what I need to believe in and constantly. But they didn't listen. The Israelites didn't listen. God sent prophets, and he said, hey, hey, you guys got to turn back to me. And the prophets were shouting, turn back to God. God, is your, he's the one you follow. Honor God. And they didn't hear it. They didn't want to hear it. They were a nonprofit organization, if you will. You didn't get that one at all. Amen. I'll go right by it there. They refused to listen, kind of like you did right there. Amen. They refused to listen to what God was doing when he sent the prophets. So then he said, okay, I'm going to raise up some enemies. And they're like, no, God, you're not. And I'm going to, I'm going to raise up some enemies and I'm going to take you away from this land. No, you gave us this land. I know, but you're not walking in my way. So I'm going to take you away from this land. And so God raises up the Babylonians, and the Babylonians come, and they take over Israel, and Israel is having a hard time succumbing to the Babylonians. So the Babylonians come back a second time, and they have this little system that they do that helps them to conquer other nations. They'll take the brightest and the best and the intellectuals, the professionals and the educated, and they'll take them back to Babylon, and they'll put them in great jobs, lush gigs in the palace or in high government official positions. They'll put them in different places so that as the leaders go, when they get excited about about what they're doing, so will the rest of the people go. And as time went by, the Babylonians went back and they grabbed the rest of the people and they brought them back to Babylonia. And when the Israelites got back there, or to Babylonia, the Babylonians said, you can live wherever you want. You can do whatever you want. You just can't leave. And so the Israelites knew what the Babylonians were trying to do. And so they decided, we're not going to assimilate ourselves. We're not going to put ourselves in with the Babylonians. We're going to stay outside. We're going to keep our culture. We're going to 
keep doing what we're doing just as if we were in Jerusalem. So they set up camp by this river, this canal, outside of town that's called the River Kibar. And they stayed outside the city limits where they kind of developed a refugee camp, if you will. And they're hanging on to their national identity. They're hanging on to their culture. And they're doing all these different things in the hope that at some point, very soon, they'll be able to go back to Jerusalem. And the false prophets are raising up and they're saying, hey, at some point you're going to go back. We know you're going back. You're going back soon. We're going back to Israel, Israel, Israel. And God says, no, I don't think so. Spirit of LL Cool J came on me just real quick there. (laughs) It'll never happen again. And so God sends the prophet Jeremiah, to let them know a few things. And he says, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. The good is you're going to go home. But the bad is it's going to be 70 years. So it's really going to be your grandkids who go home. Because you didn't give the land a break for 490 years. So you owe 70 years. In Jeremiah 29, verse 4, we pick it up there. And he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons and give, I have a hard time with this one, daughters to your husbands. Amen. I've got to do it at some point. I know I've got a daughter. Give daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters. That they may be increased there and not diminished. And seek, and seek, hear this, and seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace, you will have peace. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to do a little lesson here this morning in the next few minutes about things that bring peace. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you, thank you, thank you for words in your Bible. And we're grateful for songs that we sing that come from those words. And we thank you for prayer and the power. And we pray that we will be men and women who, even as Thomas said, feel the love and the encouragement of being in here. But differently than what Thomas said, that we will desire to go out and fight the fears that we have for being out there in the world. And that we will stand up for you. We will stick up for you, God. We thank you for this time to praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's possible I have found to be looking for something that's right in front of you and not be able to find it. There's many a times that I go into the refrigerator and look inside and say, Laura, where's the golden mustard? Our Laura, where's that steak I cooked the other day? It's right there. No, it's not, honey. I don't see it anywhere. And Laura walks right up, and there it is. I don't know if you've ever heard this statement. It's 
not really lost till its mom lost. In our household, that's a very spoken truth for sure. It's not really lost till it's mom lost. And I, I think about the, the, the time when I put my sunglasses on my head and I'm looking around the house as I'm getting ready to run out of the house. Where are my sunglasses, honey? And my wife's laughing at me and my kids are laughing at me because they're on my head. You know, there's that little thing that you can buy called the tile. Any of you have that tile? Of course you do. I have thought many times about getting the tile and putting on everything I own so that all I have to do is do a different thing, a different clap. You know, I'm a drummer, and I could do, and I could come up with different claps for the different tiles that I have just so I can find my keys or my sunglasses or whatever I've lost on that day. But it's possible to lose things that are right in front of you, and Jesus, according to Jesus, he says the same thing is possible when it comes to peace. Because this is exactly what he said one time when he made the triumphal entry. When he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, he's riding in and everybody's crying, Hosanna, Hosanna. But he knew exactly that in a few days, these same people would be yelling, crucify him, crucify him. Of course, the point with that is you live by popularity of the people, you'll die by it. Well, what's sad is the nation who was prepared to bring a Messiah into the world was not ready for him when he did finally come. They somehow missed the whole of what God had said to them for years about who he would be and what he would be. And they expected something completely different than what Jesus was. He, he, was, he was the Messiah they needed. But he wasn't the Messiah they wanted. They wanted a quick fix for what was going on. They wanted to deal with what the situation was at hand at that moment. But Jesus wanted to go deeper. He wanted to deal with things of the heart. He didn't want to deal with the symptoms. And in Luke chapter 19 verse 42, you see Jesus coming in and he's crying as he approaches the city and he weeps over it and he says saying if you knew this day what would bring peace but now it is hidden from your eyes what are you looking for what are you looking for What are we looking for in here? He said it to them, but he just as easily could have said it to us. What are you looking for? What is it that you want? What are you looking for? It's me. I'm right here in front of you. Everything that was written about me, everything that was said about me, hello, I'm finally here. I'm right here, and you're missing it. You're missing it. You know, this peace that he's talking about, it's this peace that's very similar to the same thing that happens to me when I am driving down the road and a car cuts me off. I'm missing it. Or when I get angry at my wife or my kids, I'm missing it. I'm right here in front of you. Do you not see me? Did you forget 
when you said, Jesus is Lord. You know, they say that is not a big enough English word to describe the Israel-Hebrew idea and understanding of peace when we say peace, our understanding of peace. When we say peace, our peace out, as the American culture has bred in our minds, we think of the absence of war. And, and in some senses, the first 10% of the Hebrew understanding of this word is that, but it speaks even much more in depth. There's a robustness about it. There's a fullness about this word shalom, this word peace that's a thriving inward. It's a flourishing. It's a total wholeness or a wellness that starts on the inside and it overflows to the outside and incorporates prosperity on every level. Shalom, peace, shalom, peace. What the Israelites wanted was that exact thing right there. They had been taken away from where they were living in Jerusalem, whose very name, Jeru City, and Shalom means peace, the city of peace. They were taken away from that city, plucked out from the land of milk and honey from their homes, and they were ticked about it. They were frustrated about it. We want peace. We need peace right now. Take us back because they equated, they equated peace with their life situations. If they could just get back to Israel, we could have the peace we want. But God had other ideas. He wanted them to bring a peace in an unlikely way, in a different way. They're not going back, but by bringing them here, Why? Because, listen to this, peace is not based on what's going on in your life situations, but what's on the inside that we are bringing to those situations. Let me say that again. Peace is not based on what's going on in our life situations, but what's on the inside that we are bringing to those situations. Let's look again at what verse 7 says, and seek and seek And seek the peace of the city where I've caused you to be carried away captive. And pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace, for in its peace you will have peace. You are, however you got there, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, whatever it took, in a place that God puts you for a reason. In your jobs, in your neighborhood, in your school, in wherever you are, God puts you there for a reason. And he says, listen, I... I want to do amazing things through you. I want to take you and I want to lift you up. I want to help you. I want to grow you. I want to mature you so that you, in gaining this peace and growing in this peace, don't just hold that peace in, but you bring peace to where you're at. 
that you bring peace to your job, that you bring a difference, that you're a game changer at school, that you're a game changer and you bring peace to your neighborhood in the way people see you living, in the way people see you. Let's do this side by side, he says. Let's look at what we can do at your rock climbing gym or your kids' sports or any different place that you're at. But I fear sometimes we have not because we give not. I fear that sometimes we lack this peace because we lack giving the peace. Because what does it say? In its peace, you will have peace. You know, real quick, Jeremiah gives us a blueprint on how we do all of this. And he talks about praying to the Lord for it. He talks about praying to the Lord for it. He talks about praying to the Lord for it. Because there's just something about prayer. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is infectious. Prayer is amazing. Prayer is exactly what we get to do to speak to God, the creator of the universe. Why does he let us do that? Why the God of the creator of the universe, this powerful, almighty, amazing God say, listen, I want to talk to you, Alex Retier. I want to talk to you, Steve Ozan. I want to hear from you. I want to hear from you. He wants to hear from us. He doesn't care how many of you it is. He doesn't care how many times it is. All he wants is us in a relationship relationship with us. He wants to hear from you. He loves it. He loves that relationship. He loves that prayer. But God says to them, pray for it. Pray. And in this case, God was saying, pray for your enemies. Because that's what they were, their enemies. They had just got done bringing them back from Jerusalem. And I'm sure the Israelites got choked up about this. You want us to do what? Pray for who? God's like, pray for them, your enemies. They just defeated us militarily. They just took us from where we were. They just killed some of our friends. And you want us to pray for them. You bet I do. I want you to pray for them and I want you to show them who I am through you. And keep praying for him. Keep praying for him. And he says, secondly, move into the city. Well, where do you see that? Move into the city. Well, he says, build houses. Build houses. Build those houses. And in order to build a house, you got to get a job and you got to go buy the material. You got to buy some land and, and move into the city. Get in there. Get integrated. Get to know the people. Move in. Build those houses. Become a resident alien, if you will. And that's what we are. We're aliens, aren't we? <laughs> As I look out here, <laughs> truth be told. But we're aliens in the sense that this is not our home. That's our home. And right now we're living in exile in the very same way the Israelites were. And in living in exile, God says, I want you to live amongst those people. Don't separate yourselves from them. Don't remove yourselves from them. Don't pull back so far that you become monkified. 
and live in a monastery somewhere on a hill far away and do chants and hit your head. Hola, me, les requiem. (laughs) Why did that come to my head right there? Yeah, it was a squirrel, wasn't it? But he says, don't, don't separate from them. Live amongst them. But he also doesn't want us to imitate them either. The thing about the devil is he doesn't care which side of the horse you fall off. He just doesn't want you to ride the horse. Separate yourself. Imitate. Either way, Satan says, I don't care. But he doesn't want us to imitate them as well. Why? Because, well, what happens is it kind of starts off slow and then slowly but surely it grows. And maybe we have a good heart about wanting to go hang out with people. But then we start to lose our values. We start to lose our focus on God. We start to lose those things. And and all of a sudden we get this theological liberalism. You know what Jesus teaches. We know what he teaches. but, But, well, that was then and this is now. Maybe things have changed a little bit in the way that we really need to take it. And slowly but surely. Surely there's that slow fade. But not only a theological liberalism, but there's a moral liberalism that falls into place as well as we start to fade away, as we start to imitate those in the world. Instead of not, not, not separating, but assimilating ourselves, and not even assimilating and not imitating, but living amongst in a way that we don't imitate and follow their lead but that we lead them to follow what it is God wants to show them through us. What happens is we get into these situations and then all of a sudden we think, you know what, I'm going to bring up Jesus in the church I go to, and you do, and people look at you like, huh? You go to church? You believe in Jesus? I had no idea. You know, I've heard this comment made many times over the years in our body of churches that I've I've been at my job so long that there's nobody open anymore. And, 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 of course, long is relative in this case. And I've reached out to everyone there, but 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 I say this who made you the keeper of time? Who made us The keeper of time. What does it say in verse 5? He says, plant gardens and eat the produce. I've planted gardens and I've sat there and looked at them and looked at them and looked at them and it never grows. And then I go to sleep and I come out and I go to sleep 100,000 more times and I come out and it finally grows. It's not a quick process. He says, plant gardens and then eat the produce. Enjoy what God does through you. Plant those gardens. Get out there. Do something about it. And then come back and eat the produce. Why? Because God sets the times and the places. And shouldn't we let God determine when the hole has been fished out? Going back to imitation, maybe it's possible this is true that your life 
has actually fished out the hole. You know, there's a uh, story of a very famous baseball player, and I love baseball. And in 1946, Branch Rickey invited Jackie Robinson to come to camp. And Jackie came, and obviously being the first black man, it wasn't easy, and that's really an understatement. But the story that I'm about to share just for a minute here is not about Jackie Robinson necessarily as much as it's about a man by the name of Hank Greenberg. And if you followed baseball, you'll know Hank Greenberg is one of the best baseball players ever, ever. Hank's stats. In baseball, we keep stats for everything, We measure everything. How many times you tie your shoe? How many times you blow a bubble? There's a stat for all of that. But Hank Greenberg's stats were such that he was a shoe-in for the Hall of Fame. Well, he had been with the Detroit Tigers for 19 years of his career, which is unheard of. It's an unprecedented time. And then at the end of his time there at Detroit, He came back the next season, and they didn't extend his contract, so he had nowhere to go. Well, finally, a National League team picked him up, the Pittsburgh Pirates. And if you know anything about baseball back then, the Pittsburgh Pirates were terrible. They were the worst team in baseball. But Hank, being Hank, loving baseball, decided I'm going to go and do what i got to do and give my best to it. Well, one day, the Brooklyn Dodgers, who were in first place at that time, came into Pittsburgh And we're going to play the Pittsburgh um, Steelers, Penguins, Pirates. Thank you. Pittsburgh Pirates. Well, I had to go through the whole gamut there. Play the Pittsburgh Pirates. And Jackie Robinson comes up to the plate to the, 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 the shouts that constantly followed him everywhere he went, and then some. And Hank Greenberg was playing first base. Jackie gets a hit and gets down to first base, and he takes his typical leadoff. And he slides back into first when the throw comes to first base. Hank grabs the ball, slaps at Jackie Robinson, and doesn't get the tag. He throws the ball back, and everybody's looking to see what Hank Greenberg does because Hank is a tough baseball player, and he doesn't play around, and he sometimes will step on people's hands at the time, or he'll do something mean, or he'll slap them, or whatever. And they're all looking to see what Hank is going to do to this new guy in baseball. And Hank takes his glove off, puts his hand down to Jackie, extends his hand, and helps him up to his feet. And at that moment, all the statistics in the world could not measure what that did to the other players, to the fans. Because here's the greatest baseball player at that moment saying, he's here to stay. He's not going anywhere. In a very real sense, God is doing that same thing through us. He's saying, take my peace with you. Extend your hand and show others that Jesus is here to stay. 
He's not going anywhere. Live the life that God called us to live. Bring the peace that God called us to bring. That's what it means to bring peace. That's what it means when God says, I've got you. You know, this imitation that we're talking about, God says, listen, you need to hold on to what you have right here in this church. This is your tether. I want you to go out and share, but I want you to be tethered to your family right here. I want you to tether yourself to your small group. I want you to lock yourself in and say, that's my close-knit family right there. I want you to tether yourself to spending time with disciples in this room one-on-one, going on prayer times, hanging out, just having fun, watching games together, doing whatever you do, rock climbing or whatever it is. Allowing people in your life to challenge you and encourage you. And that you do the same for them. And then take that and go and study the Bible with people. Let me say that again. Take that and go and share the peace that you've been given with others. Right now we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Because God has blessed us in powerful ways, in amazing ways. And what a blessing it is to be here this morning, to pray to him, to share the communion as a body, and understand what it means to have his peace in our lives, to understand what his peace is in our lives. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, as we praise your name and pray to you, God, I thank you so much for times like this to to share your word, but even more so to, to understand what it means to be together as a body, to be a family, to have a peace that is unparalleled. God, I know we have challenges We have so many things that happen in our life. And I know, God, there have been times where I've sat here and said, why am I doing this? Why am I a Christian when i got to deal with all this mess that i got to deal with? And then I wake up and realize, God, I'd much rather deal with that mess with you in my life than dealing with more of that mess without you in my life. Thank you for this Lord's Supper that we get to take. Thank you for loving us the way you do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.